This is the Extra Podcast, episode number 244. Welcome here. My name is Paul Siemens, one of the pastors here at Northview, and with me I have Kyle Meeker. Hey, Paul. Hey, Kyle. Good How's to see you. I'm good. Hey, you? Doing well, thanks. Good. Greg? Hi. Hi. Lots Hi. of Lots of silence when we get to Greg. Can you know what I was thinking of just now? What? Remember how last week we were talking about how Andy has earring... Holes. <laughs> how he likes to shop at Claire's. He has, how, he has and, earring holes. And how he's shopped at Claire's for earrings <laughs> yes. for himself. I was just reminded yeah. of that when I sat down and I... He d- know, he was, did not. Yeah. Yeah. No. Hello All Kitty right. earrings. This is ridiculous. From Claire's. Yeah. Wow. They were good. on sale. Where, where else are you going to get them? I don't know. Kyle, where are you going to get other <laughs> earrings? You Amazon? tell me, buddy. I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe Amazon. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. I've done, not done a lot of shopping for earrings. <laughs> Kyle, you're growing your hair out. Yeah, a little bit. See what it looks like. Does Andy have barbed wire I'm tattooed I'm trying to distinguish myself from Andy. Kyle, He's already it? got the earrings, so I figured I'd get the sparsely covered head of sort of hair. Yeah, you used to be a full chrome dome. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm trying something a little different here. I tried the, the chin beard, and that didn't end well. And what? So <laughs> Why did that did. not go over well? I thought that was great. I don't know. You, I, I got, like, soup stuck in it, and it was like... Soup? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get soup stuck in it. Are you just shoving your face in the bowl? Like a just licking the bottom? Is this like, well, when it dribbles this off ice the... cream's good. <laughs> when it dribbles off your, your your spoon onto your chin, you can feel it. But it, when it hits your beard, your You're, beard kind of absorbs you eight? it. And doesn't... Like, yeah. <laughs> You're not a very good eater. I can't eat that very good. And if you haven't guessed, that is Jeff who's with us. Making fun of Kyle. Well, come on. It's good. You're, I'm I, just. I'm asking for it. I, I admit that your your hair looks good. It does. No, you're just doing that. No, to you, make have fun more, of me. you have more. You have more growth on the top than I think you give yourself credit. Well, for. I think people are saying that it sort of looks good to see to egg me on to keep growing it to see how bad it continues to no, look. No, no, as no. Matt, the producer, nods his head. <laughs> Matt Pucci, the producer, <laughs> who's got his hat backwards today, <laughs> and looks very much like the yeah the cool Simpsons dog Pucci. So where's the surfboard? Cool man, <laughs> the Pucci <laughs> sign. He's owning it at least. He's not fighting he is. back. No, it's good. So Kyle, what what's the thought process to say I'm going to go from bald to start growing this out? Is it that simple? There, I don't know if there is much. I'm just I'm, I was curious. It's been well mm. over right. Well, it's probably been 15 years since I've grown my hair out. So how so I'm, is it a similar thought wow. process that you went through when you first shaved it? Because I would think the first the first shave was pure capitulation to to what's happening here. Yeah, and it was curiosity to see what would happen or see what it would look like. But okay. that I at that point could be fixed within a couple weeks. Okay, and I don't know if this can ever be fixed. No, no, it's looking good. We'll see. No, it is. It's looking good. You know, it's not. It's not like a full horseshoe. No, which you yeah, have way yeah. more hair on the top than so the I full get, horseshoe. I get a partial comb over looking. This Potentially. is more so we'll than see. a cul-de-sac. More than a- <laughs> no, it's nice. not. It doesn't even look like a cul-de-sac. No, no. it's good. No. So if you see Kyle, you need to encourage him. No, it's not totally it's scorched. Sort of, it's not all your scorched. Your head right now, though, let's just be honest. Your head right now is sort of like, I, I, how do I say this? The, the back has more hair, so it's sort of urban. And then the front <laughs> is more of a rural 
setting. There's few. There's fewer. There's fewer population <laughs> up there in the front. A lot of farmland up there in the front. It's like. It's like and the forest the, was, but the the crops don't grow too well there. No. Your your head. No, no, no. You've just the they, there was a clear cut, and they've planted some trees totally. now. It's like they've replanted. Yeah. Your head is like an illustration for Abbotsford saying it's the city in the country. That's yeah, it is. <laughs> I could be the poster boy. You should be. <laughs> Can I market myself? Right, just totally. your head. Certain regions of your head, just above are, your are heavily populated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll call the mayor. And then other parts are so. This is like Highway flats. One between my ears, going around the back, <laughs> kind of where the population density is. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. And then the Matsui Flats is sort of the t- front there. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're a good sport. <laughs> hey guys, there's been a bit of a, a tragedy around here. Some, some, something to be quite concerned about, and that is missing podcasts. What in the world? Is it a tragedy? How or did this is it happen? A conspiracy. Oh. I want to know what happened in those episodes. Yeah. So we got a question. Is that why some people had written in? Well, yeah. I mean, we're we're missing episodes 190 through 198. That's firmly in the John Pazook, Jeremy Lobdell era. Ah. What what era is that? Did they take them? <laughs> exactly. I don't recall. Maybe they took them with Who them. Who are these people of which you speak? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff just says, next. That of which we do not did, speak? Didn't happen. <laughs> just kidding. So nine episodes <laughs> represent, uh, what, two, a little over two months, maybe, yeah. of time. And maybe that was a different dimension that we were in. We don't actually, you know, you can tell by our comments, we don't actually know the answer to the question. Poochie over here might. <clears throat> Poochie's been on it, but... Uh, he can't find him anywhere. But uh, Looked in his drawer. <laughs> he Looked he in was, his hat. Yeah, he thought it was in the couch. You couldn't find him. <laughs> anyway, we By might way, find just, him. Sorry, before we go on, speaking of losing things in couches, you, all of you guys have kids. Well, you don't have any. Well, Poochie doesn't have any kids, but you, yep. Greg, you have a very small child. Yes. So you maybe have not experienced this yet. Mm. So I'm talking kind of Kyle, to Kyle and Paul here. Okay, I'll tune out. When you go and you look for the 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 as I call it, the clicker, the remote yes. control for oh, the comp- for the television. Yeah. Do you find yourself losing your mind yes. at your children because you're like, how hard is it for you to place the thing back in a location where it can be found again? Right. Every time I have to do it, I, it's like my kids hide it. They put it in the couch. They right. shove it underneath the couch. There are times that I find it in like cups of water. <laughs> and I'm the, like, well, how did it get in the cup of water? Yeah. No, and the worst one is the uh, the Apple TV remote, the little silver one, oh. because it's so flat and so small. It can slide in anywhere. Oh, so it slides between the cushions. It slides under blankets. I mean, you never know where that's going to be. And they just sit and they watch, and then they let it lay beside them, and it falls down like into the recliner. Right, and then you got to oh. fish it out with a hook and stuff. Oh. Yeah. Maybe your kids do this on purpose to see how long it'll actually I, take you to find I, well, it. Well, I've wondered if that's the case. Okay, really, before we get to the other questions, this is a this is a crazy story. It is a true story. True story. Oh, I, was, I was reading, okay, I was reading a few years ago about this guy who had been watching TV for years, right? And he's a very heavy, very heavy guy. And he, I'm not actually kidding. He... He ended up having to be removed from his house because he was getting sick. He had to be removed from his house by like they had to come in and like air, they lift him out with a crane. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding. When they lifted him out and they put him into the hospital, he had like a massive pain in his side. The thing was causing him so much trouble. Oh no! And when they when they did that, they found that it was the remote control. 
I'm it not got kidding. Stuck that it got stuck between his he skin. Couldn't, he couldn't find it for years. He apparently couldn't find it for quite a while, and it had grown into his his you, skin had grown. You over can it. Google this. Wow, like, it is the craziest story. So listen, all you kids out there, be careful. Right. Yeah. You stay, <laughs> yeah. If you stay there too long, now that's alien DNA. <laughs> So that's on that, brutal. On that note. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> so at least I don't have that problem yet. Nope. Nope. So that is, that is. It's not really. That, that's, that's a first. That, I've never heard of that. I don't, I wonder if that's the only time it's ever happened. That felt like, in a, history. that felt like a, a cul-de-sac right there in the, uh, in the podcast. Maybe we should come back, back to the main road. Yep. Yeah. Here we okay. go. And use my, the main use my road. head as a map. Get out of the cul-de-sac. Oh, there it is. Okay. I found question one on Kyle's head. Uh, we're going to talk about head coverings. So we've had a couple of people send in questions on head coverings, and I, I think they actually might live in the same house. Um, <laughs> it looks like uh, we've got the same last name. We won't say who they are. Well, a husband and a wife. It looks like a husband and wife and have both, sent in questions. Both want to know about uh, a passage in First Corinthians 11. Yes. How about head coverings? Yeah. And it's surprising how... The, the parties involved here actually have very different views on this. So we right. actually want to ask you to be, to be, we want to begin the conversation by saying some things aren't worth fighting about. Right. Right. You know, unity in the home is a good yes. thing. So it is. But we'll answer the question anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so the, uh, basically, is, is head coverings to be looked at as uh, equivalent to wedding rings today when we look at it in context of First Corinthians? Or, um, is it something that is just um, was was just completely cultural and should be ignored, and we really it has nothing to say to us today? So is that the same question that was asked by the spouse? Uh, well, I just kind of melded the two together. Okay. In that, the okay. two shall the become two one. Yes, <laughs> just like just like their marriage yeah. should be one. So the passage that we're talking about is First Corinthians eleven, starting Correct. in verse two. Mm-hmm. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. Of course, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. But I want you to understand that the head, the Greek word there is kephale, of every man is Christ. Now I, I bring up that word head, kephale, because Paul uses it and does some play on words in this little phrase and so there's a or in this little section and so it's difficult to figure what he means figure out what he means by head. Kephale can mean uh, authority uh, or it can mean source. This is the same way that we use that language. It can be a source of a river meaning the beginning of the river or it can be uh, he's the, you're the you're the head of the team or head of the class. You the well head of the class isn't really quite right, but the, it, it can mean authority. Quite honestly, Nearly everywhere in ancient Greek it's used, it's authority, okay? So those who want to argue source here have a real uphill battle. In fact, Kyle was at a, you were at a a seminar or a class a while ago at the Evangelical Theological Society where one of the guys who was, the guy who was arguing was saying, it means authority, period, let's end this discussion. Yeah, it was Wayne Grunem, and he has done a lot of extensive research on the use of the word at that, in the era, um... And he, when it's referring to people, it always has an authority, uh, always refers to authority. If, it, if it's the head of a stick or the end of a stick or a rod, that doesn't fit in the, the situation, the factor in the, the context. But if it's about people, it's always about authority. Always. Every context he's looked at. Every setting in, the, in both the Bible and extra-biblical <clears throat> literature. Right. 
So we could pretty much he's he's arguing strongly that we should put this whole debate to bed that the head of a person when it's talking about the head of a person it means the authority over them. Okay, so here you go. I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. Verse three of First Corinthians eleven. But I want you to understand this: that the head of every man is Christ. Probably meaning the authority over every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, probably mean the authority over a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God, probably meaning, right, the authority over Christ is God, which makes more sense in a Trinitarian sense than saying it's source, because if God is the source of Christ, that does all sorts of weirdness to our doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah. Okay? <clears throat> but you get the idea. So all these, all these people... Have so a man has a head and that's Christ. A woman has a head and that's her husband. And Christ has a head and that's God. Okay, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered. Okay, so now he's actually talking about the the physical your noggin. So let's use that word noggin. Prays or prophesies with his noggin covered dishonors his head, meaning Christ. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head or noggin uncovered dishonors her head, meaning her husband, since it is the same as if her head, her noggin, were shaven, which culturally meant that she was a loose lady. For if a wife will not cover her noggin, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her noggin. For a man ought not to cover his noggin, since he is the image of glory in God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Okay, so now he appeals to the created order there, right, For his, as a justification for what he's saying here. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority. So he, he clarifies what he means, I think, all along here, and what head is meaning. He should have a symbol of authority. That's what the head covering is. A symbol of authority on her head, her <clears throat> noggin, because of the angels. I actually love that last phrase because it's not like it's been hard enough to understand what he was saying all along. <laughs> right. And then he that, hey, and you know you should also do it because of the angels. Uh, what? What? Okay. Like I don't even understand. There's a part where Peter actually writes that it's hard to understand some of what Paul said. Like, so this is the passage I think that he's pointing to. He's like, <laughs> yes. man, I don't know what you're talking about. Who? What angels? Where are they? Anyway. Nevertheless, verse 11, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman, for as woman was made for man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Okay. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him? But if a... Hear that? Yeah. Poochie. <laughs> yeah. Kyle, you're, you're fine. Yeah, I you're got, doing good. I got a long <laughs> you're way to great. go. Yeah. But if a woman has long hair, it's her glory, for her hair is given for, to her as a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So this passage is really interesting, and it takes a long time to interact a bit with what it's trying to say. But one of the chief questions that people have often when they read it is, okay, wait a minute. So there's an appeal to the created order in defense of what seems to be a head covering. Mm -hmm. Actually, the appeal is to what the head covering stands for. Mm. Okay, so the, 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 you have, we have lots of passages of Scripture like this, where you have this intermingling with cultural practice and, and uh, the reason behind the cultural practice at, as, an, as a transcultural principle, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you have to untwine, or, you know, what do you call that? 
rip rip apart or try to understand which parts of this are actually for today and which parts are, are not. So my argument here would be clearly the head covering is identified as a symbol of authority mm-hmm. in the passage. So so what is Paul concerned about here? Is it the head covering or is it what the head covering means? My my answer would be the head covering means. And he's concerned about it because he's building that on the foundation of a transcultural principle, which is that man was created first and then woman, and therefore he has authority over her. When I say man and woman, you understand, like husband and wife in this context, okay? Yeah. It's not every man has authority over every woman. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that in this context, you have a husband who has authority over his wife, which is a consistent testimony in the New Testament, right? Ephesians 5, you have 1 Peter 3, you have other places where this this concept of male headship is, is... is is explained. What I'm saying is that do we have a head? What did the have? Do we have such a thing between married couples that demonstrate the symbol of authority of a husband over his wife in our culture today? Well, we have Sign. a we have a symbol that shows that we are unified. But is it but a symbol does it of show authority? authority? I've never thought of it that way. So I don't know. The answer is no. We don't really have something yeah. like that today. And mm-hmm. so when you you look at this passage, you say, "Well, how am I going to apply this in our passage?" Well, quite honestly, most of us don't have a problem with the with this particular, you know, taking off our head coverings because by doing so, it means that we're you know throwing aside the authority, the symbol of authority that are of our husband over us, right? Mm-hmm. In the church. I, I would say that you very much could apply this to places where, like, if women are acting in a way that is showing that they are not married, right, right, mm-hmm. in a church, that would very much be within the realm of what Paul's getting at here. Yeah. So you should act. I mean, if I could summarize the whole thing, act married and and don't throw off the the shackles. That's not the right word, but you throw off the trappings of married life in in your physical demeanor, right? Yeah. So that's the principle I think that I want to apply. How that applies today? Well, we don't use head covering. Quite honestly, Poochie over here, he's got a hat on today. Mm-hmm. And if you come to church with a hat on, who's going to come to church with a hat on now? Men or women? Women. Really? You think women will come with a hat on well, at church? Men will. I, you'll have lots of guys with baseball hats who walk into church. Okay. So, you're, so okay. I'm just saying I, that sorry, today, was... the covering yeah. of one's head does not mm-hmm. convey what it meant then. Right. Whew. So, as a result, to, to say, hey, you need to cover your head, it, well, even if you did, it wouldn't mean anything to anybody. We, we just don't have something that conveys, hey, this, my wife is under my authority. We just don't ha- that's just not something our culture has. Some people will point out the wedding ring, but again, I don't, I don't, maybe it's helpful. It shows you're married, right, so that's, that's good. Yeah. But I don't think it says, hey, she's under my, my authority. I don't think Paul's freaking out. If, like if a woman came to church without her wedding ring on, I'm not sure that he'd be... All upset about it, unless she was acting in a way that was clear in the culture that she is no longer interested in her marriage. So, like, if she had a eHarmony account, yeah, well, that would be a good one. Yes, if she had an eHarmony account or was going on dates, mm-hmm. that would probably be. But this again, this passage is uh, dealing with the gathered assembly. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe she's she's posting to Match dot com. <laughs> While the service is going on, I'm not entirely sure. I think it'd be plenty of fish. This shouldn't, by the way, surprise us that there would be things the Bible talks about uh, that have a a mixing between cultural situations and principles 
theological principles that Paul's trying, trying to apply in those particular cultural situations. And those theological principles might not always be applied, well, they're not going to be applied in the same way in lots of other places. And sometimes those theological principles aren't a problem in some other places. Mm. Right? Yeah, D.A. Carson makes the comment that every, uh, every cultural, or excuse me, every theological principle that we should follow is embedded in a culture. It has to be, because yeah. we're people that live in cultures that we create, and those cultures shift over time. So the question is, how do we, how do we disentangle the, the, the theological principle that's transcultural from the cultural expression? Right. And most of the New Testament, though, when you say Kyle, is, is written to occasions, to moments. We, we use that language. Most of, most of the New Testament is occasional letters. Especially First, first Corinthians is right. directly occasional. Right. So you have these occasional letters. It's, what you can say at that point is not, okay, well, every occasional letter is bound by its culture and can't, doesn't have anything to say to the rest. No, that's not because most of the Bible is occasional. No, actually, what you have basically is the is the authors, the apostles, applying the theology to the occasions. So our job as interpreters is to figure out, okay, what's your theology you're applying to the occasions? Figure out what those principles are and apply them to our occasions, mm. and then apply them to other occasions, and other occasions, and other occasions. And sometimes, admittedly, sometimes it's difficult because it gets intermingled and that, but you can usually figure out what the what the theological appeal he's making is. In those in those occasions, so he's usually pretty explicit about it. To be honest, in this case, it's the created order, right? Yeah, yeah. So when we look at this passage, we look at other passages that. Um, so so on the surface, somebody might re- read this and think it's this is a gender issue, but it's technically not a gender issue. It's an authority issue. Yeah. Right. Yeah, in a marriage. Yes. Yeah, that's right. what's being spoken about in right. this in this setting. Yep. Yeah. Good. But isn't authority demeaning by its nature? <laughs> Is it? I don't know. I just asked the question. God is the head of Christ. Does that demean him? Well, you just asked, you answer the question, Kyle. Well, I, I think our our cultural moment is that if there's any distinguishing between people and what they either do or can do, then you are um, privileging one group over the other. Right. You know, our world doesn't function, though. I mean, the, it, I just think that it's entirely impractical and ridiculous. It's like closing your eyes, sticking your head in the sand, and not noticing anything right. that's going on around you if you don't think you live in authority and submission relationships all around you. Right. Right? Like, people work for others. And you might think, no, no, we're equal parts on this. Well, yeah, ontologically, right, as, as individuals, yeah, absolutely, right. you are equal parts. Explain ontological. Uh, I mean, uh, as a person, as a being, in your being, right? Like, I'm just as valuable God. as you. Absolutely. And just as valuable as my son Absolutely. or the bum There's on the neither street. Jew nor are... Greek, slave nor free, male right. nor female, and, and Christian. All are one in Christ. Right. Right? And even if you're not in Christ, you still bear the image of God, and male and female, he created them. Yeah. So the God, God's uh, stamp mm-hmm. of identity is in every yeah. human being. Mm. And on that basis, they have inherent worth, equal inherent worth, right? No matter what color you are, gender, whatever. doesn't matter how you got two arms or if you have a, a, a mental disability, whatever. It doesn't matter. But that doesn't mean that we don't exist within functional relationships that are, you know, have to do with divisions of labor and these sorts of things. One of the problems that our world has is that we end up privileging some labor over others, right? Mm-hmm. We end up saying that the person who is a basketball player is a more important person 
than the person who does another task. That's actually not, that's not true. Even in a school setting, for example, we say the principal is more important than the, than, than the, you know, the janitor. On, on one level, we're going to say, well, that's absolutely false. Ontologically, it's not true. They're not more important. But on another level, yes, more important to the functioning of the organization, to the furthering of the purposes of that organization, sure. And one has authority over that. So that's, that's what we have. Even in the Bible, when you deal with the 1 Corinthians 12 and you're dealing with the, the gifts, this is Paul's basic argument. Look, everybody's gift matters. Everybody does. We give honor to the ones that we, nobody thinks are honorable. But some of the gifts actually have greater value than others in terms of how they're going to edify the church. So we privilege those over others, their, their use over others, because they, 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 they... Yeah, do you understand? Mm-hmm. So this is not an alien concept in the scriptures that we mm. would have functional subordination and things. No. But ontological equality. There's some words that you can play with. Right. Yeah, so we're all equal. And when, sometimes, though, in life, even though we're all equal, people will treat us like we're not. People will sin against us. People will um, uh, maybe subject us to things that uh, we really don't want to be subjected to. And this kind of leads into the next question. Uh, uh, a lady wrote in and, and just asked, uh, she's struggling basically with God's wisdom and God's might. And she's looking at, uh, so say, like a hypothetical situation uh, if uh, she is being sinned against at her job, and then she goes home and she's having a lot of bad things happen uh, at home in her relationships at home, and then she goes to the doctor and finds out that she has a, a disease, and just everything seems to be coming, crashing down around her. And she's like, where is God's wisdom? In this, and how does he have my best in mind when nothing's good, when nothing good is happening? Right. And this kind of relates to a, a pat, or a sermon you preached. I think the last one in Acts, right, Jeff? The uh, the last sermon you preached in yeah. Acts yeah. about uh, God's wisdom and God's providence, right? And uh, do well, you mind speaking the, to that? And and yeah, most of the end of the book of Acts is actually about yeah, providence, right? It, I mean, you hear Paul getting on a mm. on a boat and it going every which way, but where mm. it's supposed to go, and yet. Then they end up on an island, and things happen there, and he gets bit by a snake. And he's preserved, and mm. events. I mean, he ends up in he ends up in Rome, which is where God said he would be. Although right. the the pathway was very different than what Paul, I think, had in mind. Certainly, the way he writes about it, his first visit to the Roman Christians when he writes about it in Romans is supposed to be, "Hey, I'm going to stop on my way to Spain, and it's going to be <laughs> awesome." And actually, he's under armed guard, and he's going to stay in Rome for a while. Thanks. We got a free free passage. Yeah, you got a free passage. So, Luxury so here you got a guy like Paul. So all of what you just described for him is the embodiment of what his life sure yeah was like. And so he's trying to. You could you can imagine Paul dealing. We we don't have this written down, but you can imagine him dealing with the same kinds of questions mm. that you and I have about God and His mm. wisdom. So I've said before, I think our problem is not with his power or might. We believe God can do anything. We really do. Most people have no problem. If you believe in God, you believe that he has power, authority over the world. It's not like he can, he can be stopped in any, any endeavor that he puts his mind to. We, th- we just wonder if he put, he's put his mind to it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Totally. Because <laughs> when, I, when I pray for healing for my kids or my friend who has cancer, mm-hmm. I, I am praying... And I deep in, I think all of us, if we were honest, would say deep inside of us is this wondering, but will you? 
Mm-hmm. You could, but will you? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing we struggle with is why won't you? Like as I would, there's right. lots of things that, that I would. So we were left with this, this very difficult question. And it's interesting, the Bible does actually have, when I say answers, it provides some pathways anyway toward the answer. So this is the situation that Job is trying to deal with. I mean, he's trying to understand wh- why it is that a, a whirlwind came and blew the house. I mean, you guys remember the beginning of the book of Job. Like, he has a pretty, yeah. he has a pretty bad day, right? Pretty One bad. messenger yeah. after another is yep. like, um, actually, all your cattle are gone. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, by the way, all your servants are gone. Uh, oh, by the way, locusts ate all of your grain. And then the last one is, uh, yeah, your kids were partying in a house, and uh, a great wind came and blew the house it was basically a tornado, mm-hmm. and it ripped the thing down, and they're all dead. Yeah. And so he is left to the next, however many, what is it? I think at that point, thirty. the next 36 chapters, 637 chapters are him dealing with his friends with this question. What do we, what do, we do about the, this sort of circumstance in the end? Interestingly, God comes in the end in in what uh, a whirlwind, which is uh, kind of mean, right? Because the thing that knocked mm. his kid's house down is now visiting, and God comes in a whirlwind, and the questions are all pointed not they're not answered. They're all pointed toward Job about where he was when God made the world and how God could have used his help, and you know because he knows so much. He's, that's basically it. Oh, you're so you're so smart. Tell me. How I should have done these things, and you know, can you, there's a line in there? Can can you put a can you put the a leash on the Leviathan, this great monster of the sea that mm-hmm. no one could control? Can you put a leash on the Leviathan and hand it to your daughter to take it for a walk? Because I can do that. Is God's point right? <laughs> right, but you don't. In other words, there's a whole world of knowledge that you don't have access to, that I have access to, and I have reasons for everything that I do. But just because you don't know an answer to a question doesn't mean there isn't one. Mm-hmm. Just because you're left with wondering about whether or not I'm wise doesn't mean I'm not wise, right? right. Yeah. And so, in the end, what Job gets is not what, what Job get gets is not an answer so much as he gets God. And I. So, what do you say to somebody who is dealing with these issues of providence? I, I think what you say to them is, I don't know why that happened. I don't know why things happen. I don't. I pray like you do. And my mm. prayers sometimes aren't answered, often aren't answered like I want them to, to be answered. And I live in the same world that you live in. But I also believe that God, a God who is big enough to change the things you want him to change, is also big enough to have reasons for those things that you know nothing about. Mm-hmm. And so I have to rest there. I don't know where else, you, by the way, that, where else are you going to go on this one? Because the other options aren't really good. Like if you go toward naturalism, you, now you're you're into a world where there there is no such thing as bad. It's just stuff that happens, mm. and you're left just with your sorrow, and life is meaningless, and you devolve into wanting to kill yourself, or maybe not, maybe just live it up, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow it's, there's no there's no purpose in any of it. Mm. I I don't want to live there. I think that's mm-hmm. awful. It's an mm. awful option. Uh, do I want a God who can't do anything about it? I don't think so. That that does some real problems for me. For the, Certainly, it's not the way the Bible talks about God, and limiting God and His power is something that I'm not sure you really want when you're faced with injustice, mm. right? Mm. 
So I don't know. He he can't answer prayer then. He's trying his best, and he's just a weakling. Bummer. That's not that doesn't provide me any help either. Mm. I'd much rather sit with my hands open and recognize that he, that he's bigger than me and I can still lean on him and trust in him in the hour of my despair because he has reasons he hasn't told me about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we've we've we're starting this or we've just started this uh passage or this uh, sermon series in the Psalms, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in the Psalms there's these yeah, there's these Psalms that are just amazing praises of God and how great he is and talks about his amazing attributes. And then you've got ones where the author is just totally uh, beat down and he is just, he's just feeling anguish. He's feeling like the world's against him. It's and a then venting it, session. And then it ends there. It's it, a wonderfully it, honest too. Totally. It's the beauty, beauty of the Psalms. Totally. And so I think when we pray and uh, when, we're, when we're in situations where we feel like life is just completely against us and we feel like God's forgotten about us, it's, it's okay even to pray like that to God and just say, God, like, like just be honest with him. Like, let out your, let out your fears, let out your cries to him, uh, but just keep praying. Just keep in it. And part of that is a discipline of keeping mm. in prayer. Mm. We are uh, given to Stoicism. I mean, when I yeah. say given, we, we're taught, I think, we think that Stoicism's the way. Stoicism's the belief that you should be unmoved by all the th- circumstances of life, that your yeah. emotional life should be one of just like kind of island rock. I, you stiff up our lip, you know? Right. Great British thing. Don't show, don't show any emotion. I, that's not at all the way the Psalms come off. What you have is no. a bunch of complaining and criticizing at times of God. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes in Psalm 13, which we'll be preaching on in the next few weeks, but like mm-hmm. Psalm 13 will end with a praise to God, even in the midst of that, which is, of course, I think where we where we should end, which yeah. is what God, I think, is calling Job to in mm-hmm. the end, is like, you should, listen, I'm bigger than you, and I'm greater than you, and I, my wisdom is much better than yours. But sometimes, like you say, they don't end there. They end with questions, with like, I'm downtrodden, and you're not helping. What is wrong with you? Yeah. Selah. Right, and that's the end. Mm. Kyle, you were saying something earlier yeah. though about about some of our expectations. I think in the present world, though, and promises and help we try to give people in these circumstances. Yeah, sometimes when we talk about struggles people have and, and the sorrows they go through, um, we often champion stories where things turn out really well, and there's a, a really direct reason that 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 suffering or that tragedy happened in the sense of it it came to a really specific and identifiable good. And so that's that's championed as and as it should be because we can thank God for deliverance and showing us His goodness in those contexts. But I think the subtext sometimes of that is, well, you'll get that too, mm-hmm. and we're not we're not guaranteed that this side of the resurrection and Christ's final return. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are thankful for when those things happen, but we can't um, we we or we shouldn't expect a silver lining to always be at the end of every sad story in this life. That will come, yeah, sometimes but not people in this th- life. I think read Job that way too, right? Because he gets, what, triple, triple, quadruple, whatever his blessings were before God does in the present world mm-hmm. at the end of his days. Uh, and they think, oh, okay, well, I just want to... Re- you hear that in, in the way we talk sometimes. I, I just want to learn what the Lord's trying to teach, 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 teach. Sorry, we had some podcast difficulties, but back to the conversation. Uh, Greg, uh, as we've gone through this conversation on suffering, 
and uh, and God's providence, God's wisdom in that. Can you just kind of give us a final word on that? Yeah, I think so. Some of the the main things we were talking about was recognizing the the validity to um, expressing your sorrow over your situation. Mm. Uh, as Christians, it's not a, a sin to do. Actually, we have examples in the Psalms of, the, of doing just that, mm. looking at your situation and asking God why. Yeah. And at the same time, recognizing Job's lesson that we're not always going to get the answer from God of why it happened, and yet God gives us himself at it, at the end of it. And so the question for the Christian who is in the midst of real difficulty and difficult uh, circumstances and, and pain is asking yourself the question is, do I trust that God has reasons for what he's doing in my life? Do, do I think, even if I don't know the answers, does he know the answers? Mm. And then being willing to sit with them and recognizing also that in some way Disney movies are hurtful and helpful for this process because they mm. they they promise the silver lining, but they promise it too soon mm. and right. too small. Mm. So Disney movies are good because they they tell us that the th- there is going to be the moment when the tears are actually wiped away, but it's going to be better. Mm. It just might not happen as soon as we would like. Mm. So that's a summary a bit of what we've talked about. Yeah. yeah, I think maybe the only one that actually gets that right is Snow White, When the Prince Comes. Mm. When we're woken from death, we get married and we dance off into the heavenly kingdom. So, yeah. Um, so one more question for today. Uh, we got it on, uh, the topic is gender neutrality. Our culture is very egalitarian in this regard. They're saying that all men and all women are completely equal and which we believe we are inherently equal. We are, as Jeff said earlier, we're ontologically equal, right? Mm. Yes. But, when we look at things that we can do and everything, uh, our culture tells us that, yes, uh, men and women can and should do everything the same. But the, 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 right, or the listener who wrote in is asking, uh, the, she says, the Bible doesn't seem to be very gender neutral. And so even though our culture tends to make the scripture, or they want to make the, gen- the scripture gender neutral, um, is it gender neutral? Uh, or are we actually losing some of the original intent of the authors uh, when people start talking this way about the scriptures? So that's the that that to me is the key phrase: the intent of the authors. There are there are gender neutral gender neutral translations now, right? The new NIV is kind of purported to be that that kind of thing. I just so you know, like I like the new NIV, and I think there are several passages of scripture that the intent of the author is to talk to use for example the word brother to refer to brothers and sisters in Christ right or to use you know men or the 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 masculine pronoun he as being mm-hmm. inclusive which yeah. it's not we do the same thing right and we do it with he and we do it with she hey guys i've been to some yeah right? sometimes we say hey guys or we like so this is not something right. crazy i don't I, most reasonable people are like you know what i don't Nowadays, I've been in classes where people have used the the feminine pronoun as all-inclusive, and I'm mm. happy. Seriously, it doesn't bother me a bit. Whatever. I understand what you mean by what you say. And so if I'm looking for what you mean by what you say, the the language is just trying to achieve that. So it's fine for me. There are places, though, in the Bible where if you change, if you take every use of 
he and turn it to he and she, you actually lose the intent of the author. There's going to be several. Kyle, you're looking at your Bible. Do you know of any... I, I know, for example, First Timothy chapter 2, the beginning of First Timothy 2, men and women are addressed separately. Right. So you would... You would actually, if you end up saying, well, no, he's talking about men, but he's talking about everybody. Well, no, actually, in this context, he's actually talking just about men. And he has some words for women, and he's just talking to women. It doesn't mean that there might not be, have some kind of application for, for men if they're doing the same thing that the women are doing, you know, and, and the theology, it could be applied to the men in the church in that way. But he, to, to, to translate that as they, or men and women... Would not be would not man and, and he and she would not be would not be right. Can I ask uh, one more piece and then you guys go for it? My other piece is <clears throat> I actually think we're what we're talking about right now. Even using he and she is is kind of going to be very archaic very soon. Mm. Like this is not the this is not the fight. The fight is not between whether or not we use he or she anymore. The fight is whether or not we we use uh, xxhe or some other form of, of pronoun to talk about people in a way that does not convey any gender. So gender is a construct in our culture. That's where I'd be like, well, actually, our culture really does, doesn't view gender as anything anymore. It, it's just what you choose it to be on, probably on a, on a given day. I feel more girlish. I feel more in girl by G-R-R-L, or, right? Boy, right. B-O-I. I've, I've seen all of these different, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to break down gender as any kind of, you know, uh, descriptive factor on a person. So I don't know. Are we going to get to the point where the Bible actually has phrases that just say, that use these pronouns? Probably. Somebody's going to advocate it because they want it to be inclusive in that regard. But in the end, to me, authorial intent is, is the goal. We're trying to be faithful to what the author is intending with what they say. Right. Yeah, I know some uh, colleges are actually allowing people are actually advocating for um, students to be able to declare their gender, like at the beginning of each class, what they want to be for not just the semester, but for that day of the class and to be identified as they choose to be identified, um, not based on anything in their past or anything in their biology, but simply what they prefer for that day. Well, there's, yeah, some of them uh, on their, on your application for a university now, it gives you six options for gender. Yeah, that's not enough, apparently. I think Facebook's up more, don't they? I've heard 29, but yeah. it might be more than that. Yeah. Wow. Like eventually you're going to get to the point. The whole idea is that this, the destruction of any kind of barrier. Right. Any kind of defin- defining. The only person who gets to determine for you what you are, both gender and, and anything else, is you. Right? And you, who often changes his or her or G or boy or whatever, whatever, you're going to change your mind. Mm-hmm. And I'm surprised, actually, that you have to stick with it for a class. And mid- mid-class. Right, oh, I'm, I'm going to mid-class, you know, maybe you have a little card and you hold it up and say, I'm changing, <laughs> I'm changing teams. But there aren't any teams. That's the idea, right? There's, n- there's, there's nothing. So the Bible, in this context, sounds ridiculous because mm-hmm. it talks about gender complementarity. It talks about men being made as men for particular kinds of things, and women being made as women for particular kinds of things, which, okay, what I just said, it's so funny, because that will go out into the airwaves, and people will hear it and go, well, that's kind of judgmental. Really? Because there's not a guy who's had a baby yet. Right. There's not one. So biology 
This, this is where natural law actually could come in, and you don't even need the Bible on this point. You could actually just look to biology and say, yeah, actually, there are some things that guys can't do. Totally. But didn't Arnold Schwarzenegger have you know, I know, twins. Yeah, totally. But do you see what I mean? You see what I mean, right? And so it, we live in this weird, very weird day where we're, uh, we're rejecting the gender binary that the scriptures hold. By the way, right. total sales pitch. If you're interested in this sort of thing, you should come to our Apologetics, Canada, our Apologetics Conference, which is happening in a couple totally. of weeks. Because Denny Burke's going to be here, and he's one of the kind of mm. leading thinkers and writers on this totally. particular yeah. these particular subjects. Yeah, and he's going to be here, and he's going to be talking about what the meaning of sex is, and he'll get into some of these this sort of stuff. It'll be really helpful. Right, great. Yeah, not only does this have add some difficulties with just how we talk about people, um, in, in in a in a good way, we want to preserve people's value and worth, but by going this route to say that people can can. Uh, give their give themselves their their identifying marker. Um, we really cut against the grain of discipleship in the scriptures because Jesus comes along and he doesn't say, you know, find your own identity and see who you want to be to be fulfilled. Jesus comes along and says, you must die. He says, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will will save it. So he gives us life, but it's not a life on our terms. It's life on the terms that he gives, which is that we die so that he might live in us. Well, and even. So this weekend we're having baptism services, yeah. and in Romans six, Paul talks about the act of baptism as a visual for the life of discipleship that you are dying to self, yes, and being raised to a newness in Christ. And so if if we don't have any room in our mindset for the idea that following Jesus means dying to sin and self, it's going to be really hard to actually follow Jesus in a way that the Bible sets forward, right. Yeah, and it has to do with somebody from outside of you who has authority over you being able to determine something for you. That's mm. that's what discipleship is, right? Mm. Self-following, another being a learner, is mm. recognizing in, hum- in humility that I, I don't have the right over me mm. anymore. And yet right. a lot of this discussion about, you know, defining one's own gender is, is, is powered by that, that view that, no, no, nobody has a right to define anything for you but you, Period. So, like Kyle said, it's dead because it runs dead against the grain of Christian discipleship. Um, what's interesting is so many churches these days seem to be wanting to adopt it. Like they literally, do, they don't want to ask that cultural question. They don't want to ask the question. Okay, so by doing this, are we basically undercutting all of what we teach about discipleship? And instead, they're like, "Well, no, we just got to go around and correct because people won't accept us and think highly of us in the culture unless we go along with this." But I, you know. Welcome that, to the life of most Christians. Yeah, in but you're you're selling your birthright, is what I'm telling yeah. you, well, right? I, for a pot of stew. And, and I think people are making a distinction between people's affection for Jesus and their willingness to actually follow Jesus. So the language in some churches and some circles is, we we want you to love Jesus, but in some way they've they've separated that from actually following and listening to him. Whereas I just don't think. I mean, our Jesus said what series. Just went after that point over and over again. You can't say you have him as your savior if you don't have him as your lord. It's a package deal. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, it's been a good week. It's, I mean, podcast. It's Tuesday. I oh, know. Yeah. I know. I'm getting ahead of myself. But <laughs> Jeff, what no, are, Jeff. What are you? What, what's that you found look, there? You're are you digging for? Do you have a pain, dude? Look at the. It's a remote control. Oh wow. I think it's time to. Go. That explains everything. Have a good week.